My name's T, for those of you that, that don't know me, I'm one of the leaders here at Grace House. And um, this morning I want us to focus on 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 to verse 31. So a um, couple of weeks ago, we had a look at the topic of weakness and the relationship that that has with power in the, um, in the kingdom of God. And we had a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, where Paul talks about how we are all like clay jars, and, um, and he gives this description of how hard life is, and he's battered from every angle, and it just isn't treated well, and it's difficult, and it's challenging, and he says, but yet, in um, all these things, we're not ultimately destroyed, we're not ultimately done with, um, because we have this incredible treasure inside of us, and so as we go through the difficulties of life, as we actually embrace our weakness, we end up discovering that in that process of embracing our weakness, the glory of God gets put on display, and God supernaturally gives us this power to do things that otherwise we would not have been, been able to do. And so in the Christian life, our weakness isn't something that we need to pretend is not there, something that we need to, to hide, something that we need to masquerade. That's actually not what we should be doing as Christians. The right thing to do is to actually embrace our weakness, take it to the Lord, and let Him prove the sufficiency of His grace in that space. That's what we should be doing. And so this morning, I actually just want to, uh, I don't know if you build on it or it's like go off on a limb a little bit, but basically talk around this topic once again, and not so much on the topic of specifically weakness, but I want to talk about lowliness in the, in the Christian life, lowliness. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 to verse 31, let's read that. I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible. It says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligent of the, or the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Verse 26, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards, not many were influential, not many of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before Him. It is because of Him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness holiness and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So what's going on here in Corinth is that you've got all these Christians gathering together and there is just terrible division in their midst. And the reason why there is such terrible division is that they are lording themselves over one another. So they're rich in the congregation and they're poor in the congregation and the rich are lording their wealth over the poor. Um, there are people with particular gifts within the congregation, and these people with these particular gifts are lording those gifts over those that don't have those particular gifts within the congregation. Um, there are um, all sorts of arguments happening in their midst about 
um, who they are, they are following. So there are, there are these um, different apostles that have influenced the church in Corinth. And some people within the church are saying, hey, no, Apollos is a better preacher than Paul and Peter. And so we really want to belong to Apollo, Apollos because he's better than the other two. And the other people say, no, 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 we like Peter more. He's better than Paul and Apollos. And so we want to really be a part of his group. And the other people say, no, 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 it's all about Paul. And so there is just terrible division in their midst. And it's really because they're trying to lord things over one another, irrespective of whether it's wealth, whether it's gifting, whether it's particular leaders. And so um, Paul is addressing that problem um, all throughout this letter, but specifically here in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, he's coming at the angle in bringing correction to them and saying, guys, if you're still going about trying to lord things over one another, like you want to be seen as someone that is great or someone that is significant or someone that is important or someone that is better than them, then you're not getting the heart of Christianity. Like, you're, you're not really understanding the wisdom of God revealed at the cross. Because if you look at the cross, the Messiah nailed to a Roman instrument of torture so that he could redeem his people, is saying, you'd be quick to see that the wisdom of God is actually not about lifting yourself up and being seen as being really significant and lording things over people. The wisdom of God looks like a lamb slaughtered. The wisdom of God looks like selfless service. The wisdom of God looks like not being made much of. And so he's saying, guys, you're, you're just not getting it. You're just not getting it. You're actually calling what is foolishness wise. And the thing, the true wisdom of God revealed at the cross, you're ignoring it. You've got everything the wrong way around. And so he says here specifically in verse 27, verse 29, it says, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things, the things that are not, to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. So the trajectory of the Christian life is all about learning how to live this out. It's you becoming cruciform in everything that you do. It's you becoming like Jesus nailed to a cross in everything that you do. It's you becoming just yielded to the agenda of loving God and loving people, and that's it. No matter what it costs you, no matter, no matter how much it hurts, no matter how much you've got to lay down your life, no matter how little attention you get, that's it, full stop. And so all of us, when we signed up to following Jesus, we said, yes, Lord, we're going to take up our cross and follow you. That's what you signed up for. Saying, I see the wisdom of God displayed on the cross, and I want to not just benefit from that, I want to become like that. And so um, I think God's trying to teach us this lesson here as a church um, in um, many ways. And um, one of the ways which... I um, know that's what he's trying to do, is that I had a dream. Um, and uh, so we mention our dreams from time to time around here, because um, last year we started off saying one of the things that God wanted to teach us about is how to hear his voice. And so we started off saying, good God, teach us whatever way you want to hear it. You, wanted to, you want us to hear your voice. And all of a sudden, all these dreams started happening and things like that. And so we discovered, wow, God really speaks through, through, um, through, through dreams. And so in this particular dream, I've, I've shared it with some of you before, um, but basically it was the first week when we as a church went into lockdown during, during COVID. And um, I'm just going to sh- share a portion of the dream. And what happened was, is that I walked into 
this um, massive Christian auditorium. And there was um, all these people gathered there. And the worship band was, was up on stage. And I was aware in the dream that it's COVID time. So I'm wondering, <clears throat> what are all these people doing in this building during COVID time? We should be in lockdown. But as I'm walking around the space watching the worship that's taking place, I'm very keenly aware that the Spirit of God is not there. So I'm walking around and it's, it's loud and the band's going for it and they're trying their absolute best. But I'm just like, God's, God's not in the room. And I'm, I'm, I'm so aware of it, it. It's really bothering me. And then as I find a spot towards the back of the auditorium, suddenly I see Bono from U2. He runs down the center of the church in this massive glittery jacket. And uh, he's, he's got a microphone and he starts dancing and he's singing and he's like, like making his way through the aisles back and forth, makes his way all the way up onto stage. And there he keeps his performance up. Um, and then when his song finishes, he goes to make his way off the stage and he trips off the stage from the top of the stage and then falls all the way to the bottom. And um, everyone sees it. Like it happens in plain sight in this, in this dream. He just axes himself on the ground. And I see this Christian leader get on his um, hands and knees and start like doing an army crawl over to where Bono's lying on the ground, trying to be super stealth, but everyone can see it. And he grabs Bono and tries to drag Bono backstage without anyone seeing what just happened to him. But everyone's watching the whole thing unfold. Now, that part of the dream, I think what God was showing me is that he was actually using this COVID season to destroy the celebrity culture that we have in the church. He was very much confronting that through COVID. Now, I'm not saying God's the author of COVID or that he invented COVID in a lab somewhere. That's not what I'm saying is going on. I'm saying God used COVID in a very specific way to destroy the celebrity culture that we have in church, specifically this performance-based culture that we have. This, this some culture that we have where it's all about building the biggest and the best and the, the nicest music and the best sound system and the best preachers and the, all these sorts of things. God was actually confronting that through this COVID season. And so Bono represented that. He falls to the ground with his glittery jacket. But then the response of some of the leaders is that they actually want to protect that. They don't, they don't want COVID to destroy what they've spent the last decades building. They want their performance culture because it's worked for them up until now. It's got them status. It's got them finances. It's got them people's approval. It's got them big ministries. And so all of a sudden, um, these, um, these um, leaders realize what's going on, but they're trying to sneak the culture backstage and save it without anyone realizing. And so that part of the dream finishes. I go walking out of the building, and as I do that, um, this lady named Mrs. Warlow comes, comes up to me. Now, I know the, the Warlow family. I know more so know, know of them, but um, some, some of you in the room I know know them, but there's no connection in real life between, between them and the dream. I think she represents something. So Mrs. Warlow comes up to me, and, um, and she says to me that, that Mr. Warlow has agreed to become my mentor, and, um, and that he will meet all of my expenses up until the bottom line. And so I'm like, that's, that's cool, sweet. I walk away from there, and then Mr. Warlow pulls up in this fancy Mercedes, gets out looking really nice, and comes and shake, shakes my hand. And that part of the dream finishes. Now, I was for ages sitting on that part of the dream, and I could not for the life of me figure out what it meant. I woke up that morning and instantly knew what the Bono part meant, but had no idea what the Warlow part meant. So I spent months praying about it, meditating on it, thinking about it. And then one day as I was in prayer, it just suddenly clicked. It's like Mrs. 
Warlow and Mr. Warlow that are going to become my mentors is God giving me an invitation to learn how to war from a place of lowliness. So in the auditorium, he is dealing with this performance culture, this celebrity culture, this elevate yourself and make much of yourself culture. And he's saying, I'm bringing this thing down during COVID. But then off the back of it, he's saying, there's an invitation for you to learn how to war from the place of lowliness. And if you do that, everything will be covered. I'll take care of your needs. Everything will be fully supplied. You don't need to make it happen in your own strength. And um, there's some... More to this tree, this um, dream that's really cool, but I'm not going to un- unpack it today. But um, so, how do I know that God's busy teaching us stuff about lowliness? Well, it, it sort of began with this dream all the way back when COVID just sent us into lockdown. And then from then onwards, I've been seeing God bit by bit just strip away so much of the things that we have tended to find our identity into, stuff that we've looked to for security, stuff that we've looked to in order to make much of our ministry, and He's bringing us increasingly to this place of just lowliness, where we're very aware of our weakness, but we're okay with it because we're so convinced of the sufficiency of His grace. And, um, and so, as we um, unpack this a little bit, there's a few points that I want to make. The first is from Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. So Jesus is giving the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, and he gives this very important Beatitude. He says, Matthew 5, verse 5, the blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth, or blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now, if you think about what really lines up with inheriting the earth, the first word that normally comes to mind is not meekness or humility. You know, if, if someone's going to, to like dominate the earth and, and, and own everything and have everything belong to them and, and like be the ruler that's in charge of it all, I'm sure the first characteristic that you would use to say what they need to do that is not humility. You'd say they need power, they need authority, they need to be charismatic and dynamic in how they call people to action. They need to have all these particular gifts and abilities. They probably need a particularly good start in life to have some influence under the belt already. These are the sorts of things that you would think of people need if they're going to inherit the earth one day. But Jesus says, no, no, in the kingdom of God, that is just not how it works. It's got nothing to do with power and prestige and influence and wealth and riches. It's got nothing to do with any of that. It's actually all about meekness. It's all about humility. And so... If you are unsure that that is the way things work in life, God did a wonderful job of showing us that we don't need to be unsure about it, but we can be totally convinced of it. And He showed us that in Jesus Christ. So when God comes to earth to set up His Son as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, that everything belongs to, as the one that's conquered the principalities and the powers and the authorities, the one that's overthrown the system of the world. When God comes to earth and He comes to do that, how does He do it? Does He show up with a massive angelic army and just charge right into the heart of the Roman Empire and just overthrow Caesar's rule? You know, does He, does he come to earth and then for himself, you know, make a whole bunch of money and, 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 and build this little empire for himself and then use that empire to progress, like progressively take over the world. No, he, he does none of that. When God comes to claim his inheritance, 
through Jesus Christ, he's born in a manger in a backwater town that no one thinks anything significant could come from. He grows up as a carpenter's son with a mother that was despised among the people because it looked like she fell pregnant without being married. He spends 30 years in obscurity. 30 years. Now, when the general life expectancy is low 30s and you wait until 30 to get your ministry going, you're really pushing things a little bit. Then when he gets going, he does all sorts of signs and wonders, miracles, deliverances, walks on water, still storms. And the majority of the time he tells people, not to go and tell other people about what he just did. Instead of saying, okay, guys, hey, pull out the phones, like take some pics, put it on Instagram, put it on Facebook, get it out there ASAP. Of course, I'm speaking like, what's the word? Anachronistically. I think that's the word. I hope so. Well, most of you don't know because you're like, what's that word? Um, um, yeah, like, he's not all about trying to get the attention for himself. Most of the time, he says, don't tell anyone about what I just did. And then at this moment that he describes as him being glorified in, um, in John's gospel, he talks about this moment when he's going to be glorified and the Father's going to be glorified in him. You'd expect that, okay, there's this, there's this moment coming where Jesus is going to be in, enthroned. You know, he's, he's going to be enthroned as, as the Messiah. There's this, there's this moment coming where finally the Jews are going to have their, their, their hero who's going to charge in on this white horse and he's going to set things right. This moment when he's going to be glorified. And instead when that moment comes, he doesn't come charging in on a white horse, he comes riding in on a donkey. He doesn't have a sword on him. He just, he'll very soon tell Peter to put the sword away. And then when he get, goes to be enthroned, to be glorified, he's nailed to a Roman cross. And he dies there as a man that is totally despised and rejected and hated. Even his best friends went sticking around to be by his side. And it's in that moment that the wisdom of God is put on display and God claims his inheritance of the nations. It's precisely because he was made the least of these that he now has received the name that is above every other name. That is the wisdom of God. That is the way you conquer. That is the way you rule. That is the way that you change the earth. It's actually not through force, not through power, not through domination. It's through lamb-like selflessness and sacrifice. Being totally okay with lowliness. I've made this point quite a few times here before, but it's the most amazing thing. In Revelation, when they're waiting for someone that is worthy to open up the scroll and break the seals, because they want someone that's going to finish off the great plan of redemption. And John is just beside himself with sorrow because no one is found worthy to open up the scroll and to break the seals. And suddenly one of the elders or one of the angels come and they make this announcement to the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is worthy to break the seal and to open up the scroll. And then in the book of Revelation, we see that John turned 
and he looked. And you'd expect, it's like, yeah, there he saw the powerful lion. There he saw the roaring lion. There he saw this incredible beast that's going to, you know, finish the plan of redemption. It says that he turned and he looked and he saw one, this is a lamb that was slaughtered. The conquering lion is the suffering lamb. What makes him the conquering lion? It's the fact that he's willing to lay down his life like a suffering lamb. He conquers through lowliness. And so as we think about learning how to war low, it's so funny if Mr. and Mrs. Warlow ever listen to this sermon. And it's like this whole church knows about them, and they didn't even have any idea. Um, so how do, we, how do we go about warring from a place of lowliness? I've got a couple of points that I want to make here. The first point I want to make is that it all begins with intimacy and identity. I'm not going to flesh this out because you've heard this point just over and over and over and over again over the last couple of weeks. But it all begins with intimacy and identity. If you are not first and foremost delighting your heart in the Lord, you're going to go looking for delight in other things. If you are delighted in the Lord, you're okay with remaining lowly because you're delighted. You don't need anything else. So if you're able to be in relationship with Him and just enjoy Him in that space, you're not going to go looking for joy and pleasure in exalting yourself and lifting yourself up and having people's applause and approval. You're not going to go looking for it because you're already happy. And with your identity, if you've already found your worth in what He says about you, how He feels towards you, what He thinks of you, then you're not going to go try and establish an identity with having some incredibly successful business or having a, being an artist that has everyone knowing their name and singing their songs. You're not going to try and find your identity in these things because you already have your identity totally secured in Him. So everything begins there. If, like I'm going to make a whole bunch of other points, but if you don't begin there with intimacy and identity, you can just forget about all these other points because they're not going to happen. You have to learn how to just be content in relationship with Jesus. This is eternal life, Jesus said, to know Him. That's the well that everything else flows out of. Number two, when it comes to how can we wallow, so we need to learn to practice hiddenness. Practice hiddenness. Matthew chapter 6, verse 1 to verse 4, says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret, then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. This is an extremely important discipline in the Christian life that we give almost zero attention to, especially in the social media age of ours. You know, I've, one thing that I have never been able to understand, like, like never been able to understand, is people 
that on Instagram and on Facebook, I don't know if you've seen these sorts of videos, but they will go and they'll give money to a homeless person or take them out to buy them a meal. And they're filming the entire thing on Facebook Live. They're filming the entire thing on Facebook Live. And they've got this whole page going that's like described as like compassion for the least of these. But every video is them filming themselves having compassion on the least of these. Now, I'm not saying those people aren't Christians or saying anything like that, but I'm just saying I, I, I don't get it when the practice of hiddenness is so clearly outlined, for Jesus, uh, outlined by Jesus for us. Jesus is saying here, when, when, when we go about doing good things, it is so important that you do it only out of love. Love for God and love for this person. Once, and that's it. Later on in Matthew, I think it's Matthew 23, Jesus rebukes the Pharisees and he says that they do everything to be seen by others. He says that they enlarge their phylacteries, they lengthen their tassels, they love to sit at the place of honor and banquets. They, sit at, they want to sit at the front in the synagogue. They want to go to the marketplace and be greeted by people. And they do all these things so that they can be seen by others. And as we see here in Matthew 6, Jesus says that if you're going about doing life that way, you're actually just forfeiting your reward in the process. God's saying, I, I want to bless you, and, I, and I, I want to actually give you reward for all your faithfulness. Later on, he'll say that there's not even a cup of water that is given to the least of these that will be forgotten by your, by your father. Every little thing that you do in serving someone else, God sees it, God remembers it, and God wants to bless you for your faithfulness. But if you go about doing these things to be seen by others, you're actually forfeiting your reward in heaven. You're choosing the lesser reward of having people think much of you. And so how do we go about warring from a place of lowliness is that we have to learn to practice hiddenness. It's okay to stay hidden your entire life. For no one to ever see, for no one to ever hear, for no book to record your name, for no one to ever give you a pat on the back or encourage you for what you did, it is totally okay. As long as God has seen it, and in your relationship with Him, He was blessed by what you did. So important questions I think that people might ask about this is that if I don't promote myself, won't the mission be held back? So as, as Christians, this is how we justify promoting ourselves. It's for the sake of the mission. Now, don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying that it's wrong to have a building and then put your name on the front of the building in massive letters so that everyone driving by can see it. You know, if you were thinking, you'd be like, oh, this is a contradiction. Like, I'm not saying that's wrong to post your sermons online. I'm not saying that's wrong to make music and then put it on Spotify. Okay, those are things that I do. Right, but so how do we, how do we figure this out? How do, we, how do we wrap our head around this? How do we make sense of it all? And once again, I want to bring you back to the principle of love. If putting... Your music out there, which once again is something that I've done, 
is something that you recognize you can do in an act of serving people and glorifying God, then go for it. Right? If putting a church here and then putting a name on it so that people know there's a church here so they can come and hear God's word or come and worship with you or come and pray, then awesome, go for it. But if you're putting your music up online because you want to be getting attention or if you're putting in a name on the front of your building because you want people to think that you're amazing and look at these awesome people, look at what they're doing, then don't do it. You're better off keeping your music to yourself or not putting anything on your building. <laughs> we don't need to promote ourselves. If you can make things known in an act of loving God and loving people, sweet, go for it. I actually wrestled with this a lot when it came to the interchurch prayer and worship. When we had that for, for, for 21 days, it's like, God, our one ambition is to delight your heart. So should we just tell no one that we're having the prayer and worship? We just come every night and we're going to pray and worship because our one ambition is to delight your heart. Is it, so should we not tell anyone? For days I wrestled with it, being, God, please give me clarity on how I should think about this. I felt the Lord release me and say, no, it's, it's good because I want my people to gather. And if you don't let them know that you're gathering, then how can they gather? I was like, okay, cool. Released to do that. Sweet. But I was genuinely wrestling with it because I know what my heart is like. And even during the 21 days, I had to keep wrestling with it because then they start and then there's a whole bunch of people coming from other churches and you're like, oh, this is exciting. I wonder if the people are, are, are going to know that I'm involved in some of the people that are leading what's going on here. I wonder if they'll think about Grace House and coming to Grace House. I wonder if you start thinking stuff like that and then you go, oh my goodness, this is no longer just about loving God and loving people anymore. I'm getting twisted in the process. This is what I'm like. And I know you're all, of, all of you are like this as well. I'm sharing these things to help you be honest with yourself about the things that you're struggling with but just struggling to see. We don't need to promote ourselves. You don't have to do it. And we've got examples of it in Scripture. You see Moses, you see David. So Moses was 40 years in the wilderness. David was anointed as a shepherd boy out in a field somewhere where no one knew that he was. Jesus spent 30 years not in the ministry, and then he was brought into the ministry. God doesn't have a problem, problem promoting people when he wants to. So that's a, a, um, a question I anticipated some people might have. Another point that I want to make after practicing hiddenness, when we think about how do we war low, is that we need to learn to forget about our reputation and live for God's approval above all else. So emphasis particularly on our reputation. So 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1 to verse 5. Paul says, things up there, it's up on the screen. This then is how you ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust, given, is this the, am I reading the right thing? Yes, it is the right thing. It's just a different translation. Um, first, first Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1 to verse 5. Let's read it again. This then is how you ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. Notice what he says in verse 3. I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. Verse 4. 
My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. So verse 1, he says, as servants of Christ and those entrusted with the mysteries of God. So you are a servant of Christ first and foremost. You're not first and foremost a servant of your family, of your friends, of your fellow church members, of society. You're first and foremost a servant of Christ. And so what does that mean? It means that above all else, you live to please Him. At the end of the day, the one person you want to have a good reputation with is Him. The one person that you want approving of your life at the end of the day is Him. So he says, we are servants of Christ. His verse 2 now is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. So if Jesus has called you into his service, he says, that now means that we must be found faithful to King Jesus. And then he segues into the section, verse 3, he says, for I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. I care very little if I'm to be judged by you or any human court. So he's not saying that he's above accountability. He's not saying, well, I'm an apostle, so your opinion of me really doesn't matter at the end of the day. He's like, it's all right. I got my other apostles around me, and they can speak into my life, but I don't think Jesus wants to use you to speak into my life. He's not saying anything like that. He's just saying, hey, at the end of the day, what really matters to me is that I'm approved by God. And if you don't like me while I'm approved by God, I don't really care. What matters to me is that he is happy with my life. And so that's what he's struggling with here because the Corinthians aren't happy with Paul. Some of them are saying, I like Peter more than you, Paul. I like Apollos more than you, Paul. Paul, you're not a good public speaker. You're very weak in person, Paul. And he's saying, I, it doesn't matter to me if God is happy with my life. He says, it matters very little to me if I'm judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. And that is, oh, so not only, like, do I not weigh up other people's opinions that much, I don't even weigh up my own opinion that much. Saying, because I can trick myself. Like, I can, I can lie to myself. I can have all these blind spots in my life where there's a glaring sin, and I just don't even know that it's there. See, so I'm not even spending all my time judging myself either and like trying to go through my life with a fine-tooth comb and trying to work all these things out to see how well or not well I'm doing. So at the end of the day, it's going to be exposed when Jesus comes back. And so what I'm really trying to do is just focus on Jesus and live for Him. So we all need to get over having such a good reputation with people. Paul in Galatians 1 will say, if I am still a servant of people, then I would not be a servant of Christ. But we get so stuck just trying to keep everyone happy, trying to keep everyone approved, trying to get people looking at our lives and ooing and eyeing and clapping and celebrating and just not thinking bad of us. In turn, we lose perspective of the one person's approval that really matters. I remember um, being a um, teenager and so back, back before you, you had like an abundance of songs accessible on, on um, Spotify, it feels very weird to be talking about back in my day, um, 
Some of you are like, you have just no idea what it was like back in the day. Um, and so before you had Spotify and just like endless worship music that you could access, um, one of the, like the coolest ways of discovering new music was to go to Kurong and buy their, um, what was it called, worship only or only worship? I can't remember. Mom, you bought it. Something like that, only worship. And like every year they'd like bring out another CD and um, it would have like 21 songs in it from different artists that you haven't heard of before and, um, and it, you'd be introduced to new music. And so like 21 years, like 21, one year and then you wait for the next 21 songs to come out. Um, and so... We used to buy those quite, quite regularly, and um, there was this one song on one of those albums by Big Daddy Weave. And I got no idea who that is, um, but yeah, Big Daddy Weave, and, um, and he had this song called Audience of One, that like even as a teenager, just like hearing that song just totally gripped me, and here are some of the lyrics. It says, so what could I bring to honor your majesty? And what song could I sing that would move the heart of royalty? When all that I have is this life that you've given me, so Lord, let me live for you, my song with humility. He says, to my audience of one, you are father and you are son, and as your spirit flows free, let it find within me a heart that beats to praise you. And now just to know you more has become my great reward, to see your kingdom come and your will be done. I only desire to be yours. Those lyrics got me. Even as a teenager, sitting in the car, driving to school in the mornings and having this worship music playing, those lyrics back then gripped my heart already. Just this idea that at the end of the day, I'm actually just living for the audience of one. At the end of the day, that's just all that matters, that he's watching my life and that he's delighted in me. And so, yeah, that's a, a good moment to reflect on your own life. Who's in your audience that's really dictating the way that you live and what you do and what you say and what you, what you don't do, what you don't say? And is the one person that really matters in that audience or not? The third point that I want to make is that if we're going to war lows, we need to live with honesty and say goodbye to pretense. The word Christian and unpretentious should be like synonyms. The Christian life is about being honest with people about what you're actually like, who you actually are, what your accomplishments really are. Like it's being honest, letting people see you as you really are. being open, being, being vulnerable. There's just no place for pretense in the Christian life. So Mark chapter 12, verse 41 to verse 44, says Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. 
So why is it that we live with pretense? Why is it that we aren't honest with people? It's because we're ashamed of what we actually have to give. We're, we're ashamed of who we are. We, we look at the stuff that we see online or on, on, on television, you read about it in the newspaper, you look at other people's lives here in the church, their gifts, their wealth, their influence, and you compare it to yourself and you're ashamed of what you've got. And so you feel like, okay, what I gotta do is cover up, put the mask on, look better than what I actually am, speak better than what I actually am, highlight the good things in my life and just hide the things I don't want people to see. Because you're trying to cover up. But Jesus is saying in this passage for us that he's not looking at what you don't have. So you don't need to pretend. What Jesus wants from you is not what you don't have, it's what you have. It's you. And all of your mess, and all of your weakness, and all of your brokenness, and all of your confusion. He just wants you to come before him and to give him what you've got to give him. And it's the same with your relationships with other people. You don't have to go into those relationships and pretend to be more than what you are. That's not helping the relationship. It's not helping you to connect with one another in any meaningful way. But when you come into that relationship saying, this is what I've got, this is who I am, and with what I've got and who I am, I'm going to try to love you the best way that I, I can, it's right there that the kingdom of God is made manifest. So we can lay aside the pretense with one another in our, in our relationship with God and just be honest. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 12, says, For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable to what one has, not according to what one does not have. So when it comes to Grace House as well, I don't want us to pretend like this church has got everything figured out. Because we don't have everything figured out. There are gaping holes in this ministry everywhere. Like everywhere. There are so many things that I'd love for us as a church to be doing so much better, and we're not. And so what you could do is you could put on a face and pretend like you are that church. Because you know, there are some people out there that still think they're one day going to show up and find the perfect church. And if, just as long as we pretend that we're that church, we're going to draw them in. But that doesn't work because then they stick around for a couple of months and they find out you're not that church and then they just move on anyway. There are gaping holes everywhere in this ministry. I would love for the community to be so much better. I'd love for the pastoral ministry in this church to be so much better. There are all sorts of needs in your lives and situations that you go through and circumstances that Pat and I are not even getting close to getting around to. There's so, so much more that we could be doing for this community. When it comes to acts of mercy, when it comes to evangelism, when it comes to thinking about mission, there are gaping holes all around the place. So what do we do? Do we pretend like they're not there? No, we acknowledge the need for what it is. We're open and we're honest about it. And we go to Jesus and let him build the ministry in the way that he wants to do it. And in that process, you don't turn this thing into a machine where you're just shoving people into roles and trying to make things happen and build something that's not the kingdom. 
Instead, you organically let the Spirit of God raise people up, put people in the positions they need to be in, birth ministries in the places that He needs to birth it in, raise up those that are good with community, raise up those that are good at pastoring, raise up people that are good at mission and evangelism. You let the Lord deal with your weaknesses according to the sufficiency of His grace. It's the same with your own life. You're looking at it right now, you're like, there's a gaping hole, there's a gaping hole, there's something that's lacking, there's something that's good, not good enough. Don't cover it up and pretend like it's not there. Be open and honest with one another. Be open and honest with the Lord and then let Him in that space through the sufficiency of His grace do what only He can do. Birth the kingdom. And we see Christians doing this all the time. You see them doing it in business, making the business seem like it's more than what it actually is, you know? Just talking about, you know, as, as a business, you know, we've got like all this stuff and I'll, I'll talk to the, this department and really there's like one person in the department. Like, there's, like there's, there's not a whole team there. Like you've got one person in admin and you're talking about the admin department and it's like, you don't need to do that. You don't have to fake it till you make it. Just be honest with people and let God work in that space and raise things up. Christian meetings. Oh, I am so tired of, once again, hearing a lot of my frustrations with social media, but it's like every time we post about our Christian meetings, we have to describe it as exploding and being on fire and like, Endless emoticons of hands being raised and like stuff burning down. And it's like, everything has to be really awesome and exciting and on the brink of revival. And it's been that way for the last 20 years and nothing's really changing. It's like, no, like, let's just be honest about what our meetings are like. Some Sundays are pretty dull. It's just the way it is sometimes. Some prayer meetings, it's like you just want it to be over. You don't, like, it's, the Spirit wasn't moving radically in any meaningful way. It just was plain Jane. Sorry if your name's Jane in here, but, but it just, it's just like that. It's the now but not yet. We haven't arrived yet. Not everything is going to be awesome all the time. So let's not pretend like it is. Family life. Once again, social media driving me crazy. As Christians, we feel the need that every time we spend time with our family to go and post about how we've been so refocused and we've learned so much and just spending time with our family and God's taught me some deep lessons. I don't need to strive anymore. Now, if God's taught you those lessons and you, and you want to encourage people with it, awesome, go and do it. I'm not saying it's wrong, but we don't need to do it every time we do something mundane and pretend like now we've really learned to value the mundane. We don't have to be like that. Anyway, so be honest and drop the pretense. And the last thing I wanted to mention is free yourself from the burden of comparison. Free yourself from the burden of comparison as you learn to war low. If you're always trying to, if you're always observing the Joneses, then you're going to try and keep up with the Joneses. If you're always looking at what the church down the road is doing, or this ministry is doing, or that business is doing, or this, how many plays this artist has, and what, all, this, all this sort of stuff, like, if you're forever looking at that stuff and comparing, you're going to try and make it happen in the flesh. So just forget about the Joneses. 
let the Joneses stay in their lane and do their thing, and you stay in your lane and you do your thing. Galatians 6, verse 2 to verse 5 says, Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks there's something when they're not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. You've got your load. Stop looking at that guy's load. Just carry your load and do it well. If you see that guy struggling, help him out. Don't go about comparing yourself to, to him. To free yourself from the burden of comparison. So I hope that all that stuff resonates for you in whatever space you've got yourself in. You know, whether you're in business, whether you're in the art world, whether you're a stay-at-home parent. I hope these points resonate with you because in all these different spaces, we all have a temptation to not walk from a place of lowliness, but to make it ourselves seem more than what we actually are. But you don't get the kingdom that way. The wisdom of the kingdom looks like Jesus born in a stable. It looks like growing up as a carpenter's son. It looks like waiting for him to release you into the work. It looks like hiding the good things that you do most of the time. It looks like being nailed to a cross and being treated like the refuse of the world. That is the wisdom of God. And God is using that wisdom to expose the foolishness of the world. Because the foolishness of the world amounts to nothing, and the wisdom of God will one day inherit the earth. So I was talking to, um, I'll wrap it up here, I was talking to um, Lauren's dad, I don't know Lauren and Gregor here, Um, but Lauren's dad, um, Roger, is um, in mission, and he works a lot with um, church discipleship movements. And so the pastors that he, he works with um, are in countries, or many of them are in countries where it's really, really dangerous to be a Christian. So in, in the Middle East um, or other countries in Southeast Asia that are really um, like militant Muslims, things like that, or in communist countries. And so he works with a lot of these church planters and leaders and discipleship guys that um, are in these areas. And um, I was talking to him about different discipleship-making movements and mentioning some of the names that have released books and documentaries and and he um, said to me, you know, like those documentaries are good and those books are good. These guys that are, you know, putting out there what, what, they're, what they're doing. And he said, but what you don't know is that there are like so many more of these guys that are leading thousands of people to the Lord every year. Like planting churches by the hundreds every year. They, and they're doing all of it under a pseudonym. No one knows what their real name is. Like, no one knows who they are. No one knows where they're going to be. These are guys that are sneaking through borders into the most dangerous places of the world, and people don't even know their names. But they are turning nations around from the inside out. What are they doing? They're just using the wisdom of God to bring about the kingdom. They're warring from a place of lowliness. And that is how we see the kingdom spreading. So let me encourage you with that. It's a lesson I'm still trying to learn uh, that I don't have fully figured out yet. But I want to encourage you to go before the Lord and ask Him yourself, Lord, teach me this lesson. And uh, I'm sure He'll meet you right where you're at. So music team, 
you want to come on up. <clears throat> That'd be great if you could all join in standing. Awesome. Let's just take a moment just to be still before the Lord. Hannah, if you could start playing for us, that would be great. Let's just take a moment just to be still and um, maybe just reflect just on some of the, the points that the Holy Spirit really highlighted to you this morning. His Word says that His Word is sharper than a two-edged sword and exposes the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. So let me just take a moment just to reflect on some of those things that He's exposed and just to go before Him, and just to let Him deal with them. We just thank you so much that you've given us such a perfect example of what we really should look like. That you've so perfectly put on display the wisdom of God and shown us what the kingdom looks like. We just also want to thank you, God, that you are so gracious towards where we're still falling short of that. But we don't really understand it yet and we don't really live it out the way that we ought to. Just thank you that your grace meets us right there. And we just ask God that you would continue to allow us just to, to really fall in love with the beauty of your wisdom, to really have our hearts captivated by it and for our lives to be transformed. God, we ask that you would teach us how to war from that place of lowliness. Lord, to be so content in our relationship with you so content in the identity that we find in you or that we don't need all the bells and whistles and all the celebration for people to think much of us please Lord take us into that place where our hearts are just so at rest in you I pray God that you would help us to be totally okay with hiddenness Lord that if no one ever sees the things that we do no one ever hears the prayers that we prayed or no one ever acknowledges the fruit of our labors. Lord, that knowing that you've seen it would be enough for us. God, that we would truly be able to say with the psalmist that you are our portion and that you are our inheritance. And that we have nothing else in heaven or on earth besides you. Lord, that we would live only for your delight and only for your approval. God, I ask that you would help us to make love the metric that we measure our lives by. The love that we have for you, the genuine love that we have for others, Lord, that, that the simplicity of that would just be enough for us. 
Jesus, we so badly want to be like you. Thank you for everything that you've already done. Just help us, God, to stay close to you so we can keep on becoming more like you. In Jesus' name we pray.